We're going to start our sermon today with a brief history lesson. Six years ago, our senior pastor, Jeff Wells, who as the senior pastor has the responsibility, he's the primary conduit for God to say, this is the vision I have for your church. This is the vision I have for Woods Edge. And when Jeff got alone with the Lord six years ago for a whole summer and said, what do you want us to be all about? The thing God said to him, the primary topless thing was, everybody makes disciples. If you're part of Woods Edge, the vision that God has for this church, this student ministry is, you make a disciple. You are a disciple. You are actively being discipled and making disciples. And this idea of discipleship is all through the scriptures. In fact, the last thing Jesus said before he ascended to heaven was, go make disciples. And so this vision is perfect in line with Jesus' will for us. But why hasn't it happened yet? Specifically, six years ago, I was like wondering, why hasn't it happened yet? I mean, it's the thing God told us to do. Why aren't we doing it? I asked somebody smarter than me. I asked somebody that's been around this church longer than me. Why hasn't discipleship worked? up to now. And he said something profound that I wrote out, and I think this is true for Wood's Edge then. I think it's true for Wood's Edge now. But big picture, I think this is true for the American church, for the church in the West, where we are going to church and yet we have so much that we really don't want or need a whole lot. Why isn't discipleship worked at Wood's Edge? And my friend said, I believe discipleship has not worked at Wood's Edge due to apathy. Apathy carelessness, um, indifference to growing your understanding of who God is and how much he loves you, indifference to, I wonder if my neighbor even knows who Jesus is, even can begin to understand how much he loves him. That's what he said is what's causing the lack of discipleship taking place in our lives and in our community is apathy. And I was like, that's, that's true. I believe that 100%. Um, and he said, I don't think we need to develop another program for people. People are tired of programs. We need God to change hearts. Are you in this room this morning, and do you struggle with a little indifference to the people across the street or even next to you? Are you concerned for them? Not that you're judging them, but like, do you want better for them and not just yourself? Do you struggle with apathy and, and just self-serving? I do. And I can't fix that on my own. I need a heart change. And that is what God is in the business of doing. If that's you right now, in the stillness of your heart or even bow your head, would you just ask God, this morning, would you change my heart? Jesus, please. Let's define what a disciple is. Um, we're all about discipleship. God said, go make disciples. Well, what does that even mean? This is what it means. A disciple is a baptized believer of Jesus Christ who obeys God's word. Let's clarify a couple things. Do you believe that Jesus was the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that God raised him from the dead on the third day, that he is in heaven now and he is going to come back and return and gather his flock? If you believe that, even if you don't fully understand it, because that's like big, but if you believe that, boom, you're on your way to being a disciple. Question two, have you been baptized? The first step of obedience as a Jesus follower is to believe it in your heart. I believe Jesus is real. And then to proclaim it. And our first way of proclaiming, of declaring our faith is baptism. If you were baptized when you were three, great. 
But did you choose that or did somebody else? If you have not been baptized, taking a step of faith with a couple people around you, you need to do it. And if you have, great, you are on your way. But the last thing, the thing we kind of gloss over and skip is, do you obey God's word? Do you obey what this book says? Do you do what you feel convicted to do when you're coming here on Sundays and Wednesdays? Do you read the Bible and see, oh man, I really need to work on that, and then actually work on it? Disciples believe in Jesus Christ. They take steps of faith and obedience like being baptized when they start their relationship with him, and then they actively obey God's word. It doesn't say they're perfect. It doesn't say they never mess up. It doesn't say they always get it right, but it says that they obey. They try. They are willing to take steps of faith. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, what is discipleship? What is this discipleship relationship that's required? It is when an older believer walks with a younger believer in order to help them understand who God is, who he created them to be, and how much God loves them. That's the driver. It's not how to learn how to just be a better people, a better you. It's not just about checking boxes. It's, I want to understand how much God loves me. And the more you know who he really is, you'll understand that. And the more you understand who he made you to be, the more you'll understand that. And I put this in quotes, older and younger, because you don't have to have somebody older than you in years, necessarily, just older than you in faith. And so here's what I love about that. First, if you're not in a discipleship relationship, which the easiest way to do it here is come to Wednesday night and be in a small group. Boom, it's happening. But if you're not able to come on Wednesdays or if you want a little more than Wednesdays even, go to someone older than you in the faith and ask them, I, I respect you. I look up to you. I see the fruit of the Spirit in you. Would you be willing to mentor me? Would you be willing to disciple me? Would you walk with me and do a season or two of life with me and help me grow in my understanding of who God is and who he created me to be? But what I really love is that students, you were the ones that Jesus came and made his disciples. Teenagers, young people, you were the ones he used to change the world. And right now, today, you already have so much to give back. If you know someone in your life who you would like to pour into, who you see that could grow in their understanding of, hey man, God loves you. Hey man, I want to tell you about what God has done in my life because I want to see that in you. Would you pray about today? God, would you have me pour into somebody? Would you have me share my story with somebody? Would you have me say, will you read the book of James with me this semester? You can make disciples right now. You don't have to wait to graduate. You don't have to wait until student ministry is over. You can literally start today, and it will be the richest relationship in your life. That's what a disciple is. That's what it means to be in discipleship. Now, for me personally, big picture, like I'm the pastor of student ministry. I'm the leader of the young people at Wood's Edge. And six years ago, I asked the Lord, okay, I get it. This is what you desire for me, but how do I make disciples of a whole people group? And he led me to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. I asked God, how do I make disciples of the entire student ministry? And he said, Isaiah 5, 1 through 2. And I spent weeks studying this passage, and I developed something called the Vineyard Initiative. Here's a little bitty snippet about what this entails. The parable that we see in Isaiah 5 of the vineyard serves as a timeless reminder. It worked 
2,000 years ago, it works today. The parable of the vineyard serves as a timeless reminder of how to return to the work and the wonder of a life lived for Christ, of how to rediscover who God is and who He created you to be. And we see that when we read, now I will sing for the one I love a song about His vineyard. My beloved, who is God, had a vineyard, and that's us, on a rich and fertile hill, and that's the life God offers to anyone who will receive it. Now, what did he do with that rich and fertile hill? Well, first thing he did was he plowed the land, and then he cleared its stones, and then he planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower, and then he carved a wine press in the nearby rocks, and then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. Seven verbs, each of which, if you will walk out, will change your life, will help you understand who God really is, who he really made you to be, and how much he adores you, loves you, fights for you, longs to protect you. Simply put, if you put these verbs into action in your life, they will transform your whole life. The only question for you this morning is, as we start, do you want that? Do you want to change your life? Or do you want to keep going the way you have been going? Do you want to grow as disciples, as followers, or are you like, no, I'm fine right here? Do you want to experience the love and the power of Jesus Christ that he says is available all day, every day? Or are you like, no, I'm good watching Netflix? I will answer the question for us by reading you a prayer request that came in last week from an anonymous student. And I read this one, and it just gripped me, and I love it. And it's what I long that all of your answers would be to this question. How, God, how will you do all this in me? How can I understand it? How do I trust you? How do I not crack under all the pressure and the expectations that are being placed on my life? How do I live for you? How? These are the questions that plague my mind. My mind. And yet my heart cries, yes, yes, yes. You don't need all the answers, students. All you need this morning is a heart that's willing to say, yes, let's, let's give this a shot. Last week, we talked about, and if you missed it, go listen to it online. Disciples, verb number one, receive from God, the giver. Today, we talk about verb number two, action number two. Disciples, protect what they have received. If you have received something of great value, you protect it. My children are of greatest and highest value to me. And if I see them about to get hurt, I will do anything, even give my life to protect them. The same is true for you. Let's think about and let's talk about on like real foundational, easy to understand level. Do you believe in protecting yourself? Well, here's a question. Raise your hand if you wore clothes today. Anybody? A couple of you? Not everybody. Interesting, 
feel like an emperor, like new clothes kind of situation in here. If you wore clothes, you are protecting yourself right now from the elements and from me pointing at you saying, man, get some clothes on, freak. Raise your hand if you brushed your teeth before leaving the house. All right, more hands. All right, I like that. You believe in like your breath more than your body, but whatever. When you brush your teeth, you chose to protect your teeth from plaque and gingivitis and whatever, and from the breath that comes from not brushing your teeth, which I really appreciate. Raise your hand if you wore deodorant before you left the house today. I'm putting my hand down. Because when we were praying this morning, I was like, in the first time in years, I forgot to put on deodorant. I better not hug too many students today. Believe me, after this sermon, if I do, you're going to smell it. All right. Last question. Who's got a cell phone on them right now? I'm I'm not even like, all right, you got one? Give it to me. Quick. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Here's her cell phone. You got a lot of text, girl. Snapchat. (laughs) All right. I'm going to open it. Oh, touch ID to enter passcode. I can't get in here. Clearly, you have made a decision to protect what's on here. Because it's all good, right? Yeah, it is. Are you ready? I'm going to throw it to you. Oh! Good catch. I would wager most of you, if not all of you, have some sort of protection on your device. As well you should. You've got sensitive information on there. I keep my kids' social securities on there. And I'm like, is that smart? I don't know. But sometimes I need them, so I put them on there. We have all, in one way or another this morning, in fact, every single morning, in fact, every single day, in fact, all day, We do things to protect ourselves in a variety of ways because that's just what you do. Um, God even gave me a personal example, which I knew as soon as I sat down was for you on why it's so important to protect ourselves on Monday. On Monday, I got called to jury duty. It's the best. I had to go down to Montgomery County. No, I'm already in Montgomery County. I had to go up to Conroe to serve as a juror for Montgomery County And I sat down with 55 other people. I was the dead last person on the list. And if you've ever been and when you ever go to jury duty, they like to pick the people in the front because it makes it a shorter experience. So I knew as soon as I sat down, there's no way I'm getting picked, which was a bummer because I would really like to be picked. I would love a week off of work to like sit in a murder trial and just be like, this is amazing. Guilty. So, or not. I sat down for jury duty on Monday this week, and I'm like, I know I'm not going to get picked, but I bet God wants to say something to me. So I took a photograph, which is totally not allowed. I did it for you. And I'm knowing I'm going to put this on on the screen on Sunday, and I'm going to talk to them about something. And then as I listened to the case that was going to be presented, I'm like, this is totally going to work for my protect message. So the case was a civil case. It was about one doctor. We'll call him Doc One who was suing another doctor for money. We'll call him Doc 2. Now, Doc 1 was suing Doc 2 because when he agreed to work for this doctor at his hospital, he was guaranteed a $100,000 signing bonus. This must be a heck of a doctor. But he never got it. And so he took Doc 2 to court saying, I want this money to be given to me, and he won't give it to me. Here's the problem, though. This doctor never got that agreement in writing. Now, you should know, living in Texas, this is a little free legal advice, that an oral contract in Texas, a verbal agreement, is legal. It's binding. But that was mistake number two. Mistake number one, he didn't get the agreement in writing. Mistake number two, he had no witnesses to the verbal agreement that he says transpired between the two of them. So, 
he is going to have to really pull one out to make this work for him. And his lawyer knew it. Here's his lawyer standing up there making his initial case before he picks the jurors. And I'm like, oh, this guy's in big trouble. He's got no contract. He's got no oral agreement. And he's got this lawyer. This is like this little country bumpkin lawyer wearing a disheveled suit. Um, he looked completely out of his depth. He didn't speak with confidence. And I think it was because he was thinking, my client has no chance. Like, I think he must have owed him a favor to be there at all. Because he was just like, you could read it on his body language. He knew he wasn't going to win. And then you had Doc 2's lawyer step up. And this dude was slick. He had a super sweet suit on, better than anything I own. He talked smooth. He looked like he had such confidence. He sounded like he had confidence. And he just had this aura of, I'm going to crush you. I was glad I wasn't on the other side of the table from that dude. And I think he thought that. And I think he exuded that because he knew this man, Doc 1, failed to protect what he was promised. And so I'm going to win. Now, Doc 1 may well have had a verbal agreement with this man, but he had no evidence. He clearly didn't do what he was supposed to do. He didn't do the right thing. He didn't get it writing. He didn't have a witness. He disobeyed the rules, and he was about to suffer for it. He was going to lose that $100,000 unless something amazing happened. He was going to lose his lawyer fees. He's probably going to have a very hard time getting hired in the future because he sued somebody and lost. He just, his problem just exploded. It seemed to me that it would anyway because he failed to protect what he'd been promised. And I want you guys to take some notes during this sermon, but right there, that's something to think about. He failed to protect what he had been promised. Students, every one of us in this room, have been promised so much more than $100,000 in cash. We have been given promises from the one true living God that will make your life richer than you can imagine, that will rescue you from sin and death, that will give you an eternity in heaven. We've been given promises that we can pray and move mountains, but if you don't protect those promises, watch out. Be forewarned. And let me tell you a little something about the devil. And I don't say this to be funny. He's a lot like a lawyer. All those fallen angels are a lot like lawyers because they love to go to work on us, especially when we don't follow the rules. When we know the right thing to do and we choose not to do it, it is like handing the devil a megaphone and then walking with him willingly into the courtroom so that he can just yell in the throne room, sinner, 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 failure, shame, when we knowingly don't do what we know we ought to do, it's like handing the devil a megaphone and saying, tell the world what garbage I am, how much I messed up. Because that's what happens when we ignore God's word and don't do what he calls us to do, we hurt ourselves. That shame that you feel when you know you've done wrong, that guilt compounds in you when you know you messed up and then don't admit it. That fear that creeps up on you when you lie and then you're just waiting to get found out. All of those things do not come from God. They come from the enemy who we just put a megaphone in his hand and said, I'm going to not do what I know 
that I should do. Please go to work on me. And he is only too happy. He is eager to accuse us, to assault us, to humiliate us, to wait at the perfect moment and just trip us up because we gave him permission because the devil operates like a lawyer. He's a legalist. And we give him the right to mess with us when we don't do what we know we ought. So, spiritually speaking, how do we protect ourselves from all of that? Isaiah 5, 1 through 2, my beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill and he plowed the land. It doesn't mean that he dug furrows and planted seed. To plow the land in this instance meant he dug a trench around his vineyard. He dug a trench around the rich and fertile hill. He put up a wall. He did something specific to protect what he'd been given, much like a castle with a moat. Show me my picture. There it is. That castle is you. That's your life. And inside of it is everything God's ever given you, all the promises he's made to you, but you have to protect it. And so you dig a moat around it and you fill it with water. And now no one can get to you except for this one way that you have control over in and out of your life. Every time we obey God, that moat gets bigger and deeper, and we are safer in it. So spiritually speaking, like, how does that work? Spiritually speaking, what is it that we do have to protect? Well, how about your identity in Jesus Christ? Many of you have sat in this room and you've prayed, God, tell me who, you, who I am. Tell me how you see me. And you've heard things like, prayer warrior, daughter, child of God, minister to the nations, beautiful things, wonderful things. You better protect it because the enemy came to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy that in you. We need to protect our identity in Christ. We need to protect our calling and our purpose. Some of you in this room have been called worshiper. Some of you in this room already know you've been called to be a pastor, but if you don't protect it, he'll steal it. He'll kill it. He'll destroy it. You've heard things from God. You've seen visions in this room. You've heard things like shepherd of fire, and you've known that's what God has to say for me. You better protect it because the enemy doesn't want that, and he will ruin it in you if he gets the chance. And every time we disobey the Lord, it's like we're empty in that moat. It's we're, we're filling it in with dirt ourselves, and the enemy's just like, don't mind if I do. If we protect those things, though, by obeying the Lord, by following his rules, not because he's some big miser, but because he's like a good dad, I want you to protect yourself, and here's how. If we protect those things, no one can steal your identity. No one can shake you up. No one can rob you of your purpose. Nobody can mess with the self-confidence that grows in you by doing the right thing. But if we fail to protect those things by doing what we know we ought we can be attacked from any direction. We can be attacked at any time. We can be made to feel that God's not with us and he's not for us and he doesn't love us. And you know what? I was never saved at all. And remember, that's not God speaking. It's the enemy who we handed a megaphone. And you know who he loves to yell at the most? Us. Some of us are living today in some area of our life. No. Every single person in this room is living in some way, shape, or form without a moat, without protection, without healthy boundaries. And when you live like that, junk just flows into your life, flows into your mind. This is where the battlefield is. 
and makes its way to your heart, which we'll talk about next week. Disobeying God's word, disobeying the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When you are in a situation and you know this is the right thing to do and you don't do it or you take a shortcut, when we do that, that's when we get beat up, that's when we get hit with stress, worry, anxiety, fear, shame, guilt. It's not the Lord, it's the enemy. It's because we failed to protect ourselves in the way God said. It's because we failed, we failed, I failed, to maintain healthy boundaries. Failed to remember that, man, I got an enemy, and he is hell-bent on ruining me, ruining my relationship with the Lord. We see that in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Students, friends, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone who has blatantly disobeyed the right thing to do, and he's going to slam you with fear, slam you with shame, bury you in guilt, and believe me when I tell you, he is waiting for you right out those doors today. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't take holidays. Spring break is like overtime for him. Watch out. Should we be afraid of him? Should we be scared of all that? Absolutely not, because God has told us what to do. First of all, we got this guy, Jesus Christ, who hung on a cross and died for our sins to set us free from sin and the effects of it, but we just need to receive it, and we need to protect that. But we also have John 15, which says, when you obey my commandments, these, this book, the conviction in your heart, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Harrison, put my photo of the castle back up. When you obey my commandments and do what I say, you remain in the castle and the moat is around you and nothing can get at you. That's what happens. That's what you get when you obey. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love, I have told you all these things so that you will be filled with joy. And yes, your joy will overflow. We get to remain in God's love, which I picture that as being the moat. The devil can't even get close to God's love. He can't walk on God's love. He can't get through God's love. God's love is this beautiful shield around us. But when we start disobeying, it's like, here's a secret tunnel right into my heart. Please, do your worst. When we obey God's word, it's like digging a motor around our life that the enemy get through, can't get through. So how do we build the moat? Ephesians chapter 6. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's your enemy. That's who's messing with you. That's who's whispering at you at three in the morning, making you feel like garbage. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, defense, protection, so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. How? Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully equipped. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith 
to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on, the sal- put on salvation as your helmet, and then take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Six articles that you've been given solely to protect yourself. And God says, put it on, keep it on. So how does that equal protection as far as like everyday living, decisions, um, life? Well, let's use our imaginations, just like we did with the gospel according to 21 Pilots. Let's use our imaginations just like we are with these seven verbs of discipleship. Let's take these garments, these protective articles, and let's boil them down to actions. What does an action look like for a belt of truth? Well, how about this? How about we start telling the truth? How do you feel when you lie? How do you feel when you lie and then you spend the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, years sometimes, hoping nobody finds out? You know how you feel. It stinks. It's the worst. It robs, it steals, it destroys. So let's just be people that don't lie. Let's tell the truth. Let's not gossip. Let's not flatter people to get what we want. Let's just tell the truth. And when you tell the truth, it will protect you. How? When you tell the truth, it protects you because you won't be fooled by lies. You won't be a prisoner to the fear and shame and guilt that comes when you lie. Telling the truth protects us from flattery. It protects us from being gossiped about. It protects us from believing lies. It protects us from not knowing the right thing to do. If I tell the truth all day every day, knowing the right thing to do is going to be even easier because I'm saying the right thing all day every day. Let's be people that tell the truth. And you already know this, but when you don't tell the truth, when you refuse to be honest, what is it like? It's inviting a spirit, an evil spirit from in, in this dark world right into your bedroom at two in the morning to rule you with paranoia and frustration, and fear. Do you feel like that alone in your bed at night? Do you feel like that in the middle of a crowd? It's not the Lord, it's the enemy, and we invited him in by being people that don't tell the truth. So just tell the truth. You can choose today, right now, you can just write it out. Jesus, help me be an honest person. Please help me tell the truth. I don't ever want to feel like that again. And he's like, oh, I've been waiting for you to ask. I got all kinds of help for you. What does it look like to put on the breastplate of righteousness when it comes to just walking in a normal day? Well, how about this? How about we just do the right thing? What if we were people that just did the right thing all the time? What if we were people that just refused to cheat in any way? You don't cut. You don't take shortcuts. Just refuse to cheat. What happens if you do the right thing by just choosing to live generously, putting other people first? What would it look like if we were people that stopped pursuing pornography and perversion and started pursuing purity and protecting ourselves? Because you know, students, how you feel when you slip into pornography. He tempts you so hard, the enemy, to act on it. And then as soon as you do, you feel awful. You feel like a failure. Protect yourself from that. Choose to pursue purity. What else? Does it look like, man, students, obey your parents, obey your elders, respect your teachers. I don't care if they're not perfect, and I'll have to be the first one to tell you, we're not. But obeying them makes it easier to obey him. It's the right thing to do. Living like that protects us from 
being people that always take shortcuts. It protects us from being stingy with our money and our gifts. It protects us from falling into temptation. If you're one of those people that you're like, I don't understand why I keep messing up, maybe you're not protecting yourself. Maybe you need to put some boundaries, specifically in the realm of pornography, on your device. Know that you are not a person that can handle having internet in their room behind closed doors. There's nothing to be ashamed about that. Make the decision. Invite some accountability. Not living like that, choosing not to do the right thing, you are inviting spirits of pride. That's so dangerous. You are inviting spirits of shame. You are inviting spirits of perversion to come in to your most safe space, your room, your mind, your heart. And believe me, you, you know this is true. They will mess with you. They will hurt you. So protect yourself. Just do the right thing. What does it look like an action to wear the shoes of peace? Well, how about this? How about we just decide that today, Jesus Christ, please help me be a peacemaker. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, disciples, apologize first. I could say so much about this, but just look at it. If you're a disciple, if you love Jesus, if he's ever done anything for you, apologize first. Even if they're wrong, apologize first. Put other people first. Stop taking revenge. Stop gossiping. Stop getting vengeance on somebody that hurts you. Just let it go. Let them go. Release them. Surrender your reputation. Be willing to look a little foolish for the Lord. Living like that protects us from drinking the poison of unforgiveness. It protects us from holding grudges. It protects us from feeling like everyone's against us. Do you ever feel like that? Maybe you need to forgive some people. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you need to forgive the Lord. I don't know. But forgiveness is huge. Not living like that invites spirits of vengeance that will like, they're the ones giving you those lines that you wish you said in that argument hours later. And you know that just goes nowhere. Inviting spirits of thanklessness and ingratitude. Inviting spirits of indifference. I don't really care about anybody else. Why? Because I don't have peace. What does it look like to put into action this shield of faith? Well, how about this? How about we just be a people that live by faith? How do you live by faith? Well, pray. Stop complaining and start praying. Um, stop keeping everything for yourself and trying to, like, protect what you've been given and be generous and, like, bring the tithe and the offering. Um, if you see somebody in need, give them the shirt off of your back. Disciples pray. Disciples tithe. Disciples ask God, what should I do? You don't know how many students have left this ministry, gone off to college, and come to me a semester or a year or three years later, having gone to this school studying this, and finally they ask the Lord, is this what you want me to be doing? And he's like, oh, no, not even in a million years. I wanted you to go over here, and it's not too late. And they wasted $60,000, dollars $80,000 on tuition at this school that God never wanted them to go to, and they got this education, which, you know, God will redeem it, he'll use it, but I wanted you to be like a marine biologist. I wanted you to be a professional guitar player. I wanted you to just be a mom to the best kids in the world, but because we're like hearing all day, every day, just go to school, make a lot of money, and buy a big house, we need to be people that ask the Lord, like, where do you want me to go to college? Do, do you want me to go to college? When do you want me to start? Like, ask him all the questions. We need to be, people, uh, be a people that never give up hope. If you are hopeless ever, God says we are to be a people that are never without hope. And if you need some hope today, right there, ask for hope today. 
That's your prayer request today. Doing those things, living by faith, protects us from relying on money and stuff, from envying people with money and stuff, from thinking that we have to do it all by ourselves. And I know you guys feel like that. Living by faith protects us from being people that complain all the time and from being depressed all the time. Because living by faith says, I trust you and not me. I put you first and not me. You're God and I'm not. So let's be people that live by faith. And if for you, the easiest way to step into that is just like start praying every day, then start praying every day. The helmet of salvation. What does that look like as an action? Cling to your salvation. Never forget that you are broken. Never forget that you need God. Never forget that we are not here to live for this world and the stuff that it offers that's only like that. We are here to live for the next world. And we are people that worship. We are people that give of our time, as you are doing this morning, to gather together and just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's so much power in the name of Jesus. I'll even challenge you this. This one's for free. The next time you feel shame, fear, guilt, alone in your room, you say the name of Jesus out loud and see what happens. Living like that protects us from worrying about everyone else thinks. Living like that protects us from believing the voice of the enemy, protects us from doubting our own salvation, and not living like that invites spirits of fear into our bedroom, invites spirits of comparison into our heart, and invites spirits of arrogance into our lives, thinking, I know it all. The last piece of armor is the only offensive weapon, piece of what we've been given, that's listed, the sword of the Spirit, which in the passage said, is the Word of God. This book is your sword, and it is to keep the enemy back. How do we act on it? How do we use it? Disciples, read the Bible every day. How many of you are reading this book every day? Do you not know how much it will protect you? How much it will keep the enemy out of your mind and heart? Reading this book every day, it might start as a chore, but you will quickly see the benefits. It will protect you. It will rescue you. It will refresh you. It will revive you. If there is anything that I would beg my students, you, to do any given day, read this book. Disciples read the Bible every day. Disciples memorize Scripture. Disciples say the name of Jesus aloud. Doing those things and things like them protect us from being unsure of ourselves, protects our identity, protects our purpose, and it protects us from the enemy pushing us around. I am going so long. It's 1234. We're going to wrap this up. All right. Here's something cool about the moat reference in the castle. Every moat has what? A bridge. Who controls the bridge? You do. I'm going to show you a clip. It's so awesome. To demonstrate the power that you have when you do the right thing. Imagine those enemy spirits that we know are against us. And imagine how much authority and how much power you have when you have the confidence of knowing I've done the right thing. This is what it looks like. Over the bridge!
certain to the secret fire. Wielder of the flame of Arnor. The dark fire will not avail you. Flame of Udun! much. You can clap. It's appropriate. Bailey, you guys can take the stage. Students, that is the picture of the confidence that you should have, of the authority God has given you. I love in there how that man himself was reminding himself, I am the wielder of the secret flame. And you are shepherds of fire, and you have a secret flame. You have something powerful within you that you have been given the authority and the power to wield for good. And because that man reminded himself who he was, as we are called to remind ourselves who we are in Jesus Christ, we are the children of the one true God. We have been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been declared not conquerors, but more than conquerors. And to embrace that and walk in that and protect that, we need to start being people that obey this not because God said, you have to, but because God said, oh, but you get to. You get to be safe. You get to be fearless. You get to never be overcome by anxiety, never be overcome by worry. And I know that's not us right now, but it can be. Take your pens, take your prayer cards, and I'm going to walk you through two prayers that could literally change everything for you today. Pray them by faith. Write them knowing you're writing this right to God. Like I like to imagine when I write my prayers out that God's got a blank piece of paper in front of him up in that throne room and words just start appearing and he sees them and he, boom, answers them. Here's your questions this morning. If discipleship hasn't happened yet, yet, due to apathy, and you have some apathy, you have some indifference for the people on your left and your right. Maybe some indifference for yourself. Would you just ask God right now in your own words, give me more love. Help me to be loved. Help me to love others. Help me to make your love known. But God, I cannot, you can. Would you give me more love for you, for myself, for the people on my left and right. Just write that out in your own words and know God's seeing it, God's responding to it, God loves it. Question two, if discipleship hasn't happened yet because we have not obeyed God's word, if we, because we haven't put our faith in action, then ask God right now. Lord, Pastor Justin threw out a lot of different ways that I can put my faith in action, that I can obey you. He talked about telling the truth, doing the right thing, forgiving people, clinging to salvation, reading the Bible. Which of these 
How many of these do I need to work on this week? If he's telling you something, if he's giving you conviction, if at any time in this sermon you felt convicted, would you just write down which one you need to own and then will you just write a prayer to him? Lord, give me strength. Give me the strength to do what you're calling me to do so that the next time the enemy comes prowling around, no matter how big and scary he is, I can say with authority in the name of Jesus, you shall not come into my life, into my heart, into my mind. You shall not pass that point. Get the hell away from me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, refresh me. Jesus, revive me. Students, you have the power to pray that, and God will back it up. Protect what he has given you. Lord, we respond to what we have heard today, and we will respond by bringing our sacrifices and our prayers and our offerings and dropping them in these boxes. We will respond by taking the elements and reminding ourselves of a place of gratitude that you love me this much, you saved me. We will respond in song, but we pray that you would help us respond where it really counts this week, out there in the world by doing what you've been calling us to do. Give us strength. Give us more love. In Jesus' name, amen.